0: Impressive in its simplicity, modern in its concept. The center span from tower to tower would be 4,200 feet long. The longest ever attempted in that time.
1: So, this is a clip from a really old documentary about the Golden Gate Bridge. And it goes on for quite a while like this about how awesome the design was, about how it was an impressive feat of engineering. And it is a really impressive structure it wouldn't have been possible even a couple of decades before it was built. The technology just didn't exist.
0: If you look at bridges built 2,000 years ago and bridges built 200 years ago, they're basically the same design. They're generally of about the same span. They don't sort of like massive jumps. If if you've got a wide river, you'd put two or three archway spans there. But roughly the designs stayed the same because Nobody really had the mathematical tools to describe why it stayed up or didn't stay up. So nobody could be that radical because you wanted to copy what had been seen to work. Yeah, you might expand it by a little bit and then you might try something different. If that falls down, nobody ever copies you again. And if that stays up, then that adds to the bank of knowledge so people can then start copying that design. But it doesn't mean that progress is incredibly, incredibly slow and conservative.
1: This is Dr. Stephen Woodcock, and he's a lecturer in the School of Mathematics at the University of Technology, Sydney. According to Dr. Woodcock, the design of something like the Golden Gate Bridge or even our Harbour Bridge in the 1920s was only possible because of a huge advance in the way we do mathematics. All of a sudden, we had the ability to model something really complex so we could design something really complex. And this is happening all over again thanks to computers.
0: I mean nowadays there's even more radical designs than that. An absolutely crazy sort of suspension bridges of enormous reach, but you can do that because you mathematically you can write down why it works. You can do the calculation it's since the advent of computers to be able to basically crunch through billions trillions of calculations. Building design has gone from basically square boxes or a few archways to absolutely wacky things that look like they shouldn't stay up.
1: Welcome to Think Digital Futures, where we bring you stories from the digital age. I'm your host, Josh Nicholas. Today, we're gonna be taking a look at how computers have changed the way we design, because they not only allow us to do really complex maths, but because they allow us to export our imaginations, to download our brains into something that can be easily manipulated and shared.
2: Uh, Yes, mostly everything is designed on a computer nowadays.
1: This is Berto Pandolfo, He teaches interior and spatial design at the UTS School of Design. As you step into Berto's office, your eyes can't help but be drawn to his windowsill, which features neat stacks of what look like white stones, each about the size of your fist. But they're not stones. They're part of a project he's working on, and they've been designed on a computer.
2: The project was about combining uh, uh, 3D-printed parts, which is a machine created part together with a a manually created part. So the, the part that goes on top is made out of timber, it's made by hand, and I wanted to contrast that with something made by a machine, so a 3D printed part.
1: If you didn't get that, Berto is designing a table. The plank on the top is going to be something handcrafted, maybe a piece of carpentry. It's going to be really similar to the tables you have at home. But those neat stacks of fake river stones on his windowsill, those are going to be the legs.
2: And so I started with sort of conventional looking feet that you would recognise from normal uh, Federation type furniture and realised, well, I'm not really exploiting the, the technology here. So I started to you know, venture into different forms and quite complex forms. And then, and as I was trying to um, come to terms with that, I realised that the form of a river stone is actually super complex. And if I layered them, uh, it was visually interesting Uh, but also enormously complex in trying to uh, mimic those forms in a a virtual environment.
1: When Berto first started designing the table on his computer, he didn't realise the freedom he had. He was still designing table legs that looked like your typical table legs. His mind was anchored to an old way of thinking. But the thing is, When you're on a computer, there are very few restrictions.
2: So if I was to do that in a conventional manner, uh, I would have to create uh, um, the mould, the the part, the master part, then I'd have to create a mould and then I'd have to cast the mould. And if I didn't get it right the first time, I'd have to do it again. Whereas with a digital file, I can review that file on screen, print it off, Quite quickly and if it needs modification I just need to tweak the file and so you're unable to create these enormously complex forms um, on the screen whereas in the past that was uh, much more difficult. The question is,
1: as more and more design shift onto screens and away from what we can physically make with our hands, will all design follow the path of Berto's table? Will everything become abstract? I'll use the iPhone as an example. When the iPhone first came out all of the apps, they were made to represent something that we could touch. You know, you'd know, you have like a f- physical representation of a piece of paper in the notes app. Mm-hmm. And that's slowly, slowly being stretched to where it has no real relation to a physical object anymore, the latest of durations. Mm-hmm. Do you sort of see as technology gets into design, as more and more technology like 3D printing, like these things, that the bounds of what people create will keep getting stretched till it bears less and less resemblance to things we see in nature? Do we get a bit more Abstract, I guess.
2: Well, abstract objects. We're, we're, we're surrounded by abstract objects, I suppose. Um, and it just depends on um, you know society and, and the the, uh, the trends in society. The other the other uh, aspect is that um, our society is becoming more and more virtual uh, on account of the, the technologies uh, that are, are being made available to us, like your example of the iPhone and these associations to uh, physical products, uh, we will never really lose those, we will absolutely never lose them.
1: But product design isn't the only area of design that computers have upturned.
3: So today, uh, for instance, um, at the same job in French's forest, uh, we've got services running along one of the roads and um, they're they're sitting in the in the uh, pedestrian walkway so this is
1: alan little and he's a civil engineer the kind of engineer that works on big mining projects and is currently working on sydney roads
3: we've also got bus stops there and um we're putting the services underneath the pavement and um somebody some bright-eyed fellow said Gee, haven't we got bus, stop, bus shelters here? And don't these have footings? And aren't these footings gonna protrude down in, and clash with the services? So we've got 11, kilovolt, 11 kV power that's um, buried, and uh, we might have bus shelter concrete going down three, 400 mils. It's gonna be protruding into this um, duct. For years, Alan worked on paper, all the planning was done on paper,
1: all the maths, but there are drawbacks to this. Only a few people can really understand what was happening and contribute. When they switched to computers, everything
3: changed. Um, so it's a, a digital representation of what's in the ground. We have the, the, the existing ground level as a warped sheet in 3D, in 3D space, and if you turned it on, you'd be able to recognize, ah, there's the road, there the buildings are. And then you would overlay that, the proposed design, and you'd say, ah, oh, look at that. So they're gonna be digging down and, and uh, putting in a center lane that's gonna go under some bridges and in a tunnel. Um, and then uh, you, you would then overlay the services, the existing and the proposed, and those would appear like sort of tubes or roots and you would be able to rotate this in 3D.
1: What Alan is talking about here is creating a 3D model of what's under our feet, of all the pits and electric lines and sewage, so that all the builders and engineers and designers can visualize what's happening. They can download it onto their tablets and pinch and zoom. They can see clearly what's going on so they don't clash with each other.
3: So um, not only are you modeling the linear, Um, services like water, uh, stormwater, comms, gas, and they're all long sinewy routes bending their way around. You're also modeling the signposts and their bases. You're modeling the power poles sticking out of the ground. Those power poles go down uh, nearly three meters. And so what you're doing is you're getting this information and allowing a v- much broader audience um, it might be people in, uh, on the same project that are other disciplines they can all look at it and say ah oh, but you've forgotten this and you're getting a lot more contribution uh, by other people who are just as important on the job but um, wouldn't normally see this information
1: But I wanted to see what this process looks like in practice. What do these computer models look like? What can you see in them and do with them that you can't do on paper? So I dropped by the offices of Andrew Donaldson. He's been an architect for about 15 years. His office is dotted with sketches and cardboard models and computer-generated plans. Just walking through, you can kind of take a visual tour of how technology has slowly changed his industry.
4: Oh, the change has been staggering. So when I when I started first year at architecture school, which was 1999, it was that was still, you know, it was, I I studied right on the really over the the bridge of where you know the old guard was um, leaving. So we were trained in you know physical drafting and. Um, you know, refilling your, your ink and not breaking nibs to make fine lines and having, you know, tracing paper warp in the heat on a, on a drawing board. So all these things that seem archaic um, in this day and age. And then the, the second part of the degree, cause it's a two-part degree usually. Um, it'd come back and, you know, and the digital as well and surely the the tipping point had had happened. So, yeah, so I suppose a little bit unique in being versed in both, you know, the old world and the new world and we we sort of actively mash those things up in our own process in here. Yeah, so for my own process, I'll usually still always start with um, sketching, just kind of fr- free sketching and, and not to scale. Um, then we build up really accurate three-dimensional um, information, like the, the house you were talking about on the, the steep hill. Um, you know, we get surveyors to accurately plot that soil, the landforms, you know, to the, to the millimetre correct. And then, yeah, it's really a back and forth. So we'll kind of... Um, you know, block model, or do you know it's kind of sketching in three-dimensional space. So even though it's the yeah on the computer, then we'll be printing that out, you know, chopping it up, sort of hand drawing over it again if it's not right, scanning that back in, tracing it back in if we need to, or that feedback loops um, getting you know sort of shorter and, and more closed where I can comfortably do that within the computer um, now, which which I didn't used to feel comfortable in because it just felt you know it's kind of a transition to get into that. That zone, um, and then it's a matter of just really building up your information within the, the computer. So it never, you know, it never really comes out once it's once it's in there. It stays in there until it's, um, you know, resolved at more and more detail with more and more specialist input, until the point where it's, you know, still printed out into stacks of physical drawings to hand over to a team of people to, to build and put together.
1: Andrew took me on a virtual tour of a half-inch project he's working on. It's a renovation to a townhouse somewhere in Sydney. So imagine a long, thin building that's a couple of stories tall and with a laneway on one side.
4: Traditionally this would have been sketches and, and drawings, as in, as in, you know, quite a while ago, but nowadays that's com- completely in the computer. So it's more about, you know, where a, a form is kind of set up and just a neutral um, thing. You start to add in detail and, um, as you can see, we can, you know, walk around and use scaling elements like furniture and people
1: so it kind of grounds the um. just so you can get an image of it it, it kind of reminds me of like 2003 games yeah. just at that point when the scenery was like loading it's like yeah. it's flat <laughs> walls it's all gray apart from some details but what is this so you're only just starting on this what is this for
4: okay oh this is a, this is this is just a house this project so it's an extension to a to a terrace um, we've got a laneway and some kind of air rights over an easement so we're looking to kind of you know push it out and make this kind of beautiful veil out in the the public space a little bit so i suppose as far as the design process it's it's kind of showing that level of thinking where we've sort of detailed up the way this veil might work but there are other things that are you know clashing and intersecting and yeah quite quite like your description of the you know like things aren't quite loading properly (laughs) but you know the fact we can kind of walk around and um you know, w- walk through the spaces. So.
1: Andrew is manipulating the model here, zooming in and around it, kind of like you would in a computer game. We can go along the laneway on the side and see how the extension blocks the light, or we can perch in the backyard and look right down the hallway that runs through the house. And you can also just walk through the house.
4: So this is
1: the kitchen right now, we're walking through the kitchen.
4: Yes, yeah, so we're sort of walking through a, a kitchen area. Um, in this instance we're using the fact that we're kind of shoving the bedrooms out over the, the lane to the easement to to bring light in which is a you know a problem we don't do many terrace houses but um that's you know getting light in there's a lot of Sydney signers with those so one of the real challenges within within terraces that are all packed together
1: yeah. so, so when, it, when it comes to like your job and your like do you benefit something like this so from a start you can see the light you can see yeah. how things like the, the space, the the space is playing out. Like there's lots of gap in here right now where we're sitting in the kitchen. This looks like a really wide hallway, which is something that you can sort of feel and see rather than just on a on a line drawing. It's a bit abstract.
4: Oh, absolutely. It's 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 um it's just another world for um you know ma- making that other world, I suppose. So for 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 cl- because there's always a client involved in in architecture. It's never um so it is important to have that translation, that legibility to to others that.
1: The program that Adam uses to build models like this also creates a line drawing at the same time. You know, the kind of detailed floor plan that a builder will eventually work off when they're actually building. Think of it like the floor plan you might get from a real estate agent, only with much more detail. Toggling between this and the 3D model, you get a real sense of how much the model brings to the design process. To me, like the f- the first thing that's immediately clear is when you switch between the three D model and the line drawing. Is the three D model I can see, I can feel the space. I can see the light in the in the line drawing. That's just all completely absent. And those, to me, are like light is some one of the most important things when it comes to something like a house. Abs- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, so how does that change? Like being able to to feel the volume and see the volume and and see where the light will play in. Like for example, in this house you've got a cutaway there so that the light from the top can go into the, can, co- can flow through the house. Yes. How does being able to see stuff like that change the way you design? Um,
4: well, it, it, it certainly helps. You can test and kind of tweak things much quicker. Um, so we're we used to be able to, I mean, I mean, architects have usually got a three-dimensional object in our minds with us at all times anyway, even when it is um, represented in, in two dimensions, we're sort of projecting how that would, would come out. So we had an earlier scheme where this catwalk was kind of against this wall, but then you tested the sun angles and the, you know, where it came in, it was sort of blocked off by a solid balustrade. So you go, okay, so early on we know that balustrade needs to be more of a um, you know, a mesh and a catwalk maybe see-through to have that light actually penetrating down where you know, that could have been a real hassle in a prior world where you've gone to all the effort of, of building something tall to let light in and it's blocked off by another element. That's um, sort of like what we were talking about before of... Now that I think about it more, it's, it's a much better way to design. <laughs> we're just so used to it these days.
1: Let's keep focusing on light for a minute. Architects have always been aware of how important light is to a building. And so they didn't just start modelling it with computers. They had tools before this. But they were crazy. Just imagine something like a model of a solar system, where you put your house in the middle, and you could then have the sun spin around it. But you still have to imagine the light coming from the sun like when I
4: started university there was still um, one of the old sort of heliodon machines we used to have to physically make a model and put it inside this cranked thing that would sort of estimate where the sun would come around on you know certain kind of angles and take photos and make adjustments so being able to just do that instantly is
1: infinitely better so so do you react to things like that I can imagine you could create a model of a house and like let's say it's it's you're you're putting it somewhere where it could have a view and you can, you can create a model and go, hey, wait a minute, if we make the house, you know, I don't know, four centimetres taller or whatever, all of a sudden you can see over the tree?
4: Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's a really important part to, to getting, you know, having those things yeah, much more accurately um, plotted. Um, and, you know, and not making big mistakes as well, sort of turning up on such because, and, you know, noticing that something is blocked out that you mightn't want it to, to be or other, um, you know, clashes between paths.
1: But there are also challenges when it comes to designing on a computer. You are less constrained by physical limits. You can really go wherever your imagination takes you. This can mean new frontiers of design, like Berto achieved with his table. But for an architect, it can also mean you lose all scale.
4: Um, I suppose the thing about um, architecture versus just creating you know virtual worlds as the you know the human scale is always important so if so drilled into us that we're looking at things at certain certain scales at every point in the process so something i noticed with students you know current students coming into it you know a lot of the the grappling they're so they pick up you know the, the technology effortlessly and are so astronomically better than just the year before it, um you know doing amazing things with it, but it's all about, because on a computer you can get into the, you know, sort of beyond the the one-to-one scale and zoom back to the the whole of Google Earth in front of you. It's it's more about, there's different challenges, I suppose.
1: But just like Alan from before, one of the killer features of 3D modeling and designing on a computer is the ability to share a vision, to plonk down an interactive idea of what it is you're trying to build. And for Andrew, who has clients, this may be the biggest feature. The, I was talking to an engineer and he was saying like it, it's, it's brilliant to be able to model something on a computer and then you can make, like it's kind of like a PDF, I guess, yeah. where you can send it to a client or you can just show them his iPad yeah. and they can yeah. kind of play with, with their fingers. Like It's a really yeah. tactile
4: thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. We're only just sort of testing some of those capabilities now as well where you can sort of send out so the model doesn't have to be you know bringing clients into your studio and physically walking around within the software that you can be kind of exporting these, these <coughs> things so They can literally walk around like a, um, you yeah, know, like it's a first-person shooter within their own sort of home, <laughs> with their own family. <laughs> Are you less shocked by the end result nowadays? Um, it's hard, it's still always amazing to see the thing come to life. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that is, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Not so much, I think, for for clients, um, definitely. Like, I I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to visualise something in three dimensions, only get floor plans, you know, put your trust in someone and then walk into the space and and understand how how it all goes, so... um
1: You've been listening to Think Digital Futures, stories from the digital age. You can subscribe to our podcast by searching for Think Digital Futures on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. If you've liked what you've heard, please rate us and leave a review. It really helps us get discovered. This program is a collaboration between UTS and 2SER. This show was produced by Jake Morecambe. I'm Josh Nicholas. Talk to you next time.